Aloha, my name's Simon and welcome to Sup FM. And if you're a new paddler, then I just wanted to say a massive welcome to you. You've really joined a fantastic sport and uh, welcome to the Sup Tribe. This week, we've got a bunch of bonus episodes for new paddlers as we get towards the launch of season four. So if you haven't checked out those episodes yet, then give them a try and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on your favourite podcast app. As we go through this season, we're going to feature an instructor from somewhere across the world in each episode. So if you want to shout out, then leave us a message with some advice. It doesn't have to be for beginners. It can be for racing, for surfing, for whitewater. But leave us your message. We'll pick one and we will get you on the pod. And if you look in the show notes, we'll tell you how to send it. This week, our instructor is Sasha from Moxie Unleashed. She's from the south coast of the UK. And here she is. Hi, Simon and Sup FM. This is Sasha from Moxie Unleashed Sup and Fitness. And my top tips for beginners, obviously, to look up, look forward, eyes on the horizon and look in the direction that you want to go when turning. But also to really hunker down as if you're in a rugby scrum. So make yourself heavy. So really connect with the board through your feet. Engage the core by drawing the belly button back towards the spine and really make yourself sit strong. So you have a really strong core and really strong legs, but your knees are nice and soft because they're your shock absorbers. So your knees, your legs are going to absorb the movement and the motion of the waves and hope that's enough for now. But you know where to find me if you've got any questions. Best of luck out there. Stay strong, suppers. In today's episode, we're dealing with that thorny subject, how do I choose my paddleboard, which is a favourite post in any Facebook group about stand-up paddleboarding. As I mentioned in the interview, Ian wrote a superb piece about this on his Facebook group, and he's kindly agreed that I can include the piece in the show notes, so all the core information is right there. And in this episode, we work our way through his article, riffing around the various different sections he covers. One of the conclusions we both make is that when we're talking about brands, there is no room for snobbery. So whatever brand you choose from the cheapest to the premium, the most important thing is that you're safe and you're having fun. Now, he's got huge experience across water sports. He's a true waterman. So I would highly recommend you have a good listen to this episode if you're at all confused about choosing. And he also talks about his background, including the Celtic Challenge, which was a gritty adventure he went on a few years back. So here we are. How to choose your paddleboard with Ian Phillips. So today on SUP FM, I'm joined by Ian Phillips, administrator and owner of the Stand Up Paddleboarding UK and Ireland Facebook group. And we were going to talk about how to select your paddleboard. Ian, welcome to SUP FM. Yeah, hello, thanks for having me here. I look forward to getting into the meat and potatoes of this in a minute. But uh, first of all, could you just introduce yourself and uh, talk about your water sport credentials? Because you've been in the business for a while and uh, you've done a few really exciting adventures as well, which we want to talk about really briefly up front. Okay, so hi to everybody out there. I've been in the water sports game since I was about 14. My parents introduced me to windsurfing down in Pool Harbour at Rockley Park, which some of you may know. And I learned to windsurf in the middle of a storm with black skies 
and my dad saw me sail out into the distance and didn't see me for another five hours because back in those days it wasn't quite the same the instructor ran in to get cover from the storm and just left me out there i had a great time so that was the beginning and we sailed with some amazing people in different countries and then i was about 20 mid-20s i disappeared off to south africa and lived out there and i lived in durban and ran a windsurfing shop and a school and then i lived in cape town so more surfing windsurfing and then came back to the uk and i hit a point where i needed to earn money and make a living and grow up a little bit and moved back to london where my family were from and spent time rushing out to the coast all the time to windsurf and stuff but it wasn't quite the same you're not living by the beach you didn't quite get the same feel for it gradually that fell by the wayside and then oof, about 15 years ago i just started saying i've got to, you know it's a, it a midlife crisis comes so you have to re-engage with the youth don't you and say i've got kids i'm not letting my life go i started up the windsurfing again with some old school kit went back headed down to i think worthing where nick baker the the, the ex-windsurf champion and, and fanatic uk um leader he, he's he's down that way i met some of the guys i used to know and it just all took off again yeah and i haven't looked back since and then obviously since then supper's come along i picked up paddle boarding probably 10 10 11 years ago when it was not even a fledgling business we didn't have kit then and we really didn't we were standing up on surfboards and just literally paddling with an oar literally an oar not, not you know flopping around going how does this work and we'd seen pictures of laird and all those amazing people in in um, maui and places doing these crazy things so we just started floating around and yeah it, the, the whole sport just massively grew under my literally under my feet <laughs> it was just changing yeah, yeah it's, it's been incredible and particularly in the last couple of years when i started it was about nine years ago something like that i got huge amount of interest on the beach now no one bats an eyelid everyone's upping which obviously brings us to the subject that we're going to talk about but before we do i just want to ask you about our anniversary that's recently passed for a particularly gritty trip that uh, you set off on with with some mates which is the the celtic crossing uh, could you explain a little bit about what the celtic crossing is okay they gave it a name the celtic crossing but me and the lads, we just we just decided to get a boat one day from from the end of the world, which is Cornwall, not far from Lands End, and we got a boat and we got this amazing boat trip over in the in the evening, over to the Isles of Scilly, and so we stayed there were about five of us: Dean Dunbar, Jason Sawyer, Carl Sawyer, Mark Robinson, myself, and we literally stayed with some uh, military friends on the island just for the night. We camped out in a loft on hard floors. And had and then got up super early and paddled back to, to Senon. So that was what, th- I think 30 miles, 50 kilometers of open sea. Absolutely. So that's a hugely exposed area, isn't it? It's, it's basically well into the Atlantic and it's also prone to some pretty heavy tide action as well. I know from speaking to people who have paddled round Land's End at Cornwall, you've got two tidal flows coming through to one. And essentially, you've got that facing you as you paddled from Scilly to, to Senate. So so what, what was that like? What was your experience of those waters? It was amazing. It was being adrenaline junkies, most of us, and, and most impressively, Dean is blind. And that, that was the, the just unbelievable challenge because it's crazy to think that someone can't see can do this. His experience was obviously probably more more sort of experiential than ours because he was actually feeling every single thing 
Whereas when we left the islands in the morning, everyone left together and we worked as a, a unit. We had two guys that were from Coldrows, which is the, the base with the rescue helicopter, air sea rescue. So whilst we had no rescue boat and no boat with us, we were completely alone. We did have a phone line straight into a Chinook helicopter if it all went wrong and something, which is quite handy having a Chinook on your side, I think, <laughs> you know, or a Sea King or whatever can come out at speed. But we left the islands and just as you're paddling out of those islands, it's amazing because it's all, obviously it's a rocky outcrop, really, a massive rock, you know, cluster of rocks. But you go through this kelp and this massive flowing weeds and seaweed and stuff. And then suddenly there was just millions of seals everywhere and they were doing spins and all sorts, checking us out mm. as we're leaving the islands. And we go further and it, it's weird because emotionally you still feel like you're OK because you can see this island behind you and think, oh, I'll just turn around and go back to the beach. But then suddenly you go a bit further and a bit further and then out the blue, there's nothing. You just suddenly look around and go, where's all the land gone? So obviously we'd spent a lot of time. We'd planned this heavily. We got naval experts, Jason and, and Mark, and they would planned routes. We would planned timing. We understood the shipping lanes. We understood the tidal times. We had long range forecasts for weather. So we really did know it like down to a T. So we were super confident that unless something physically happened to one of us or someone really got hurt, then we were quite secure in timing. But obviously you get these massive swells. So we had a lovely day. We planned not to have lots of wind because obviously if there's lots of wind, that area gets gnarly and it's confusing gnarly. It's not like a coastal gnarly where you can get up and ride a few bumps, fall off and out there, huge swells as the guys that do the race know. And there's nowhere to stop and have a rest. So your legs go like jelly because you're standing so long. And yeah, perhaps the funniest is this Australian guy pulls up in a yacht in the middle of the ocean and he asks us what we're doing and then he offers us loads of beers. And so, <laughs> you know, we're sitting there going, well, I don't think I can drink because I won't be able to stand up. But this Aussie guy, I think he was drunk as a skunk and he was, he just wanted to chat to people. So we had chat to him for a while. But we saw sunfish, these beautiful sunfish and dolphin, all sorts of stuff. And then, I had to do it, obviously, like anyone would, because I took a, a picture of a teddy bear that my daughter had given me, and I said, I'll photograph the teddy in the middle of the ocean. So I've got a picture of this teddy bear um, in the middle of the ocean just with me sitting there. But you had to get off your board and swim and just feel what it was like to swim in the open sea. And that was just wicked because you just thought this is hundreds of feet or meters or whatever deep because it's super deep water. Obviously, it stands to plunge, and then it was just wicked. And uh, I think, and, then, and, and weirdly, as you get within miles and quite a few miles of the shore, then suddenly you get waves coming the other way, uh, because they're obviously all hitting the they're all hitting the the cliffs, and so obviously planning is really important because you don't have beaches the way we see them on the south coast. You have like down there, it's minute landing points, so. We had to really define our out points, our, our, our sort of evac points, if we got into trouble, how we were going to land. Because once you get to land's end, obviously, it's just cliffs. So there aren't many evac points along there. So that was all considered. And, and the guys like you know Jason Sawyer, who were part of the were Air Sea Rescue, they, they were amazing. The, the planning and stuff they did to know all this. Big props go out to them for getting that all sorted for us. When we landed, uh, it was the most unglorious landing because by the time you come in, you get off your board and you just collapse because your legs are like jelly and you just don't recognise the ground because it's like that's solid and you've just come off a wobbly thing. Let's go on to the, the reason why I've brought you on here. So stand up paddleboarding UK and Ireland, 20,000 
members catering for a huge amount of people in the UK, Ireland, and I think internationally. Why don't you tell me the most frequent question that gets asked on that group and every other group on Facebook? Well, obviously, like most groups, the biggest question is, I'm a beginner, what board should I get? That's the that's the one, yeah. And that's the reason for getting you on. I was knocking around on Facebook the other day and you've written a really fantastic piece about that to help people choose a board. So what I wanted to do is to, to use that as the template and obviously to recommend that uh, people, if, if they're interested in this content and seeing it, then they join um, your group and have a look in the announcement section because... It takes away all of the, the faff around it. I'm going to go through it now. But before we before we do, one of the things I wanted to talk about, one of the things that I, I guess is the controversial aspect of choosing a board is brands. Because what's happened over the last few years is there's been a massive explosion in brands. And what that means is that when people ask that question on there, they say, look, I'm thinking about this brand and I'm thinking about that brand. What do you think about that? And that question is becoming increasingly difficult to answer. And obviously, if you're asking that as, as someone who is genuinely asking for advice. The likelihood is, is that you're not going to get a good quality answer to that because... Basically, brands are split into three tiers. You've got the, the premium brands, which are the, the old sort of windsurf brands, which have moved into SUP. Obviously, their boards tend to be a slightly higher price point. The quality tends to be better, but obviously, they also tend to have done the most research and development on it. So it's more advanced. And they've got the years of experience in water sports in there. Then you've got the mid tier, which is the the brands which have been set up probably over the last sort of five to seven years so they're private brands and they've evolved from the just take the custom Chinese generated paddle boards and they've added and refined and so on so that they they're the sort of mid tier and then you've got all of the what I call the Amazon brands so these are essentially people who have spied a good opportunity they've made up a logo and they've basically imported a whole load of, of sort of custom off-the-shelf brands and those occupy that lower tier and just before we go through your checklist in just to finish off on this brand if people are asking any paddle border of any experience to compare some of those lower tier brands you know what brands better than the other there is no way on this planet Earth that anyone will be able to give you a sensible answer to that one because no one tries all the brands. And certainly a lot of those brands people won't even be aware of. Is, is that a kind of fair summary of where the brands are at the moment? But yeah, absolutely. It is. Obviously, I've got the school where we teach windsurfing, foiling, a SUP, everything. I, we teach a lot of open water paddling and we get a lot of people turning up with their own kit. And because uh, I always try and say, if you've got your stuff, let's get you on, let's train you and coach you on that. Don't jump on something different because everything massively varies. So if I go racing around on my race board, which is what, 23 wide now, it, that I purposely keep for a flatter conditions. And, and then other boards, I'd say I'll go 27 wide if I'm going to do like a hoof off out to sea for a long way or to Isle of Wight or something because I'm preempting those conditions but I did an amazing paddle the other day with a guy called James and turns out he was a arctic explorer 
Yeah. We got going and he said, yeah, I've done a bit of puzzling. And then it turns out he uses those ocean kayaks, the super long ones that he can spend weeks away on this uh, kayak. And he's off to the Arctic in a couple of weeks time. And so he wanted some experience on a SUP. And, and, and this is his words, not mine, not made up, but we jumped onto boards and I do lessons of taking them on inflatables because obviously it is easy to transport, less damage and, and it's just easier just from a lesson perspective. However, we got on these boards and I, I use fairly good ones because you want the experience to be right. Yeah. And I know what makes a good experience on a board, but we paddled out. And the first thing he said, I reckon within about 10 minutes was, oh my God, this is so different. My son's just bought one. He's bought something off Amazon. And that was his words. And uh, he said, I was in the, the harbor the other day in Chichester Harbor. And he said, it's just, it was exhausting. And his shins hurt. What it is, is his shins were hurting because he was using his toes clawing because the board is so spongy. And he said, you know, I pumped it up. And he's not an idiot. So he pumped it up. He'd done all these things, but he couldn't get it to work. And, and, and that's the sign that often that I see at the beach all the time. You could have 20 people out on boards at a lovely weekend, sunny weekend. And then you'll see two people standing up. And I always say to my kids, I'm like, but think about it. Most of those people probably could stand up if the board gave them an easier time but the, the problem is that some of these boards that they're, they're just not fit for purpose if you put a real purpose to it if you said it's just a beach toy then and it's not about elitism that word comes up a lot on the facebook groups and it's nothing about elitism it's that it's like saying saying oh, let's let the air out your bicycle tires and then go hoofing around the streets you'll find that bike feels really awkward it's the same principle but with the sups you can't always put more air in them because there's so many more factors that make it stable comfortable capable especially on moving water if you're on an old lake somewhere and it's glassy flat you can get away with lots of stuff and think you're having the world's greatest time and then i think going back to your point about that the major brands like fanatic and, and those guys they come from this amazing windsurf background they've got years of development job's another one but it's, it's this brand that obviously a lot of people buy into they've been around since the 70s making what do you call it water skiing uh, and stuff like that towing equipment so they've got a huge amount of experience and that, that's one of the brands I, I use for the school because those boards are stiff especially from a touring point of view if people want to learn to do touring or want to do ocean distance they're very stiff uh, and so that makes an insane amount of difference from my point of view as a coach because I want to make sure that person's getting the right feeling because you can't teach anything if you can't just stand securely Exactly. And and I've seen that as well when I'm, my instruction, people who just are not able to stand on their own board and then they try a quality board. And as you say, there's this thing about elitism and actually elitism works in, in a couple of different ways in the industry. But certainly your example about bikes and the difference, it's the difference between a £100 bike that you pick up from the supermarket versus a branded sort of specialised or something like that. You just wouldn't take that hundred pound bike doing any form of distances or cycling up huge mountains or anything like that why would you do that first stand up paddleboard but i think if it's an introduction the important thing for us is making sure that they choose correctly because if they choose correctly then they'll carry on in the sport which is what this podcast and i know what you do in your group is all about so let's rattle through your document here so your point one on here is you've got two categories of board inflatable and hard construction so in terms of the advantages and disadvantages of 
of the two types of board. Just run us through those in. Okay. Well, I'm obviously for most people, certainly on a general level, inflatable is convenient because it's easy to put in the car, roll up, easy to store when you get home. It's more durable when you think of if you dropped it on pebbles or if your children were at the beach with you and, and sat on it or something, whereas a hardboard made of epoxy, more classical surfboard construction or carbon, they're more vulnerable to being dropped. And then if you drop, you crack them. So you have to t- a greater level of care. And obviously, if someone buys something like that, they're already aware of that. So they do care for it. Someone buys an ice up and it's a family board. They have to appreciate, like I do with my kids, that you can't keep moaning every time they bump it. So, you, you know, so you do these things with a bit of purpose. The I think the, the biggest advantage, you know, disadvantages, pros, cons between the two is a hardboard, because it has a very defined shape. If you took a proper hardboard that was shaped with a real purpose, like a, a Jimmy Lewis M14. All right. So that was one of my first ever boards. That's what I did my Celtic crossing on. That's 14 foot long, 28 wide. It's a downwind board, which means it's basically like a giant surfboard. You see the nose kick up and it is just a big surfboard. I've surfed that in massive waves down in, in Ireland that with big waves rolling off the Atlantic on the West Coast. And I use that and amazing thing It's 14 foot long. It's crazy. But because it's got rails, that which are the edges and they tuck underneath towards the tail, they become very sharp. They are like it's like ice skating those if you sharpen the the skates you lock into the 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 ice more this board locks onto the water goes where you point it there's no skipping this is a very defined shape with real purpose and ice up in general not all but because some of them have tried to refine shapes in general these all-rounders they have very rounded rails so if you look at the underside edges of your board where the sides become the bottom it curls in a smooth shape and you don't really have an edge to grip the water with. So you lose quite a lot of steerage. And that could be if you're on a wave, it's not as easy to surf those boards. It really isn't. You can do it, but it is not as easy. It's not as easy like when I do my open water coaching down here. Someone's on an ice up, I'm on a hard board. They'll find that as they're going along and there's wind and waves against us or inversely with us, that then their boards wriggles in different directions because one, it's very light. It doesn't have any grip, so it's sort of skipping left. And again, it's that scenario of letting air out your bicycle tyres. It becomes a bit of a law unto itself, whereas a hardboard locks. I can point it. It goes where I point. And so obviously, from a fatigue point of view, if you're looking for distance and none of those things were an issue, then you'd go hardboard all day long because it goes where you say it does all those factors. And plus toe grabbing. Like I said about James earlier, uh, that, that Arctic guy, he was grabbing with his toes and exhausting his shin muscles because he had no choice because the board is slightly spongy. It's a bit like, obviously, I don't have a bouncy castle, but if I did with the children and I walked on it, it's exhausting because you're doing this weird undulation through your feet because the floor's moving. And even when you pump an ice up up massively and no one can deny that they still have movement within them because it's air and you learn to train yourself to cope with it mentally and physically. But there is something to be said. And that's why with technology advancing like it has, these ice ups have massively evolved, like the quality of materials has changed and that's made them more rigid. And that's so important. It really is. So if we're going to sum up the differences the two so obviously the inflatable is really easy to to transport and in terms of dings unless you really 
whack it. it that, nothing's going to happen to it, which is one of the reasons why it tends to get used for sort of river running and white water and so on. And also from an accessibility point of view, because it's got the better storage and the transportation, it does tend to be the choice. But in terms of performance, if you're into hardcore touring, if you're hard, you know a surfer, it can do all of those sorts of things, inflatable, just not brilliantly. I've surfed my inflatable. I've got a what eleven a Mistral, and you know I, I enjoy doing it. You can only surf in one direction. You can't do bottom turns or anything like that in it because, as you say, the rails are quite big. If you're not fussed about the performance, then you know either either work for you. I know totally. It's if people always say on the group, you know, my group and other groups that I see, they go, "Oh, as long as it makes you happy." And I totally agree with that. If you're happy and you've got a grin, you're enjoying it. Cool. But don't forget, if you want to progress, you have to start thinking a bit more seriously about the tools you're using and not wear your flip-flops to go and play a football match sort of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I guess as well, that's where some of the elitism comes in because it really does annoy me when people come aggressive about the sort of inflatable versus hardboard it's about whatever works yeah it's a bit unfair on us i obviously i have to advocate everything running that i have to look after everyone but it is unfair when i see people called out and then they use the word elite because that isn't what it's about it's nothing to do with someone's financial position or status or whatever it's a different stage aren't there and the unfortunate fact is that you buy one if you get into the sport then you're probably gonna be buying one aren't you but, uh, okay so, that, so that's uh, the difference between hard and an inflatable so um so moving on to point three in terms of buying a stand-up paddleboard obviously the, the value from lessons is to for, for the coach to give you pointers around sort of board size and paddles and all of that and that goes along with that often schools sell kit as well so you can get a chance there as well to demo that that kit and and just get a bit of a feeling and also try out friends kit as well that's another great thing and and i've found that going out in groups people are really generous about sort of trying their boards and they want to have a go on your board just to get that different feeling so there's all sorts of ways to get an understanding of what sort of fits you before you even buy your own talk about dimensions of boards now so let's start with board widths we're talking for beginners about sort of 32 ish um, inches aren't we uh, for ice caps as being ideal for balance just talk to us quickly about the the width of the board the width of a board obviously that's the immediate platform they measure it under your feet when you stand dead center and obviously the width the wider it is logically the less tip the less quick it is to tip but width isn't the only factor that creates stability and that's the misunderstanding you could get on a board of 32 or 30 wide and it feels more tippy if i get on my downwind board which is a hard board it's i think now it's 26 my ocean board and yet it's super stable but it's because it's got hard edges it's a hard board it's got rails it's got shape it almost locks itself down and and so whereas an ice up it has this roundness in the edges these rails these under rails and like a kayak they roll onto each side so you and and then with the air as well and the ball being so amazingly light they tend to get flicked and i'm referring to the sea or where there's chop but they tend to move more underfoot so we're looking the optimal sort of width for a beginner would be 
30, 32. And, and if you're very big, in terms of like paddle technique and so on, it's really important not to go for that 34 until you've, you've unless you've got the physical dimensions, because what we're looking to do when we paddle is to do what we call stack hands, which is when the, when the paddle goes in, it goes in, um, it goes in straight. And obviously if you're paddling a 34 and then you're quite a small person, then your shoulders aren't going to be big enough to deal with it. You're going to have to really lean over one side, which means that the paddle goes in at an angle, which means that the board will change direction. And that's not a great way to go, is it? No, and also if you're having to reach your paddle out, let's say to the right-hand side, inevitably to reach that far, you throw your left shoulder across you to reach as you reach up and your weight then pushes into your right foot, which makes you tip because I always say to people, if you see the center line running from the nose of the ball to the tail, dead central line, this invisible line running where you'd see a stringer and a surfboard, which is that wooden line. If you see that, always visualize that running through the little handle in the middle. You want your head, especially on the any moving water where there's stability issues, you want your head to stay as centralized as possible there. Because as soon as you start rolling your shoulders left and right and out, outbound, then you start getting movement and then you come into technique, soften the hips, let the lower portion of the body move independent to the top portion of the body. So use your hips as a break. And I, was, I think I said in a post the other day, if you're going into wind or certain directions, have one foot slightly forward of the other, like a surfer, but the one that's at the back, roll your toes out on your heel. So take, leave your heel planted and roll your toes outwards because effectively then you've got three stability points, one foot, two foot, the second foot on the heel and the second foot on the toes and you do that on the sea when it's rough the stability increase is huge but and but that's that willingness to get people to move and so you can say oh this ball's not stable enough it probably is it's just no one's yet shown you how to now get the stability out of the board that's actually there exactly yeah and that's back to, to the lessons again I think one of the key things that people get out of lessons is the ability to move around the board. And the reason why people don't like to do that is because they don't want to fall in, which is all part of the game, unfortunately, I think. There's a phrase that I trot out, which is, if you're not getting better, you're not getting better. People really need to get beyond this whole thing of falling in and i get that so also if you're struggling to get back on the board then the instructor can help you with that as well so moving around the board is basically the solution to this and if you're comfortable doing that then that will allow you to basically move into anything and it will make you a lot happier it means your feet don't hurt as much it's brilliant okay so point six we're talking about if you're thinking of buying your first board how is it that you're going to use it? And and generally, people, if they're buying the first board, they're just getting into the sport, which is why all around boards are so good. But what, obviously, there are lots of different environments. We talked about them already. Consider where you're likely to paddle. So see Lake River, there's different choices there. How sporty are you in general? And if you want to progress and where you think you might progress to, um, and also to take into account your height so someone who's shorter would be benefiting from a narrower board as it helps you to reach out so that's some really good advice now the other part of this is all about weight and that is a really big dictator of what board you should go after just talk us through that ian 
Okay, so we're talking rider weight here. I always use myself as an example when I'm testing boards, and certainly the ones we sell, because I always think I'm 95 kilos, so I'm the heavier end of the human race heading up that way. And and then, but the thing is, I'm 95 kilos in the summer, in a summer suit, a shorty wetsuit. And I always relate this more to windsurfing because my wave boards are very small and they critically change how they work in the winter because I put a bigger wetsuit on. And with a bigger wetsuit, like a winter suit, I can add five kilos because you fall in, it gets wet. You come out, you try lifting your wetsuit out of the bath when it's just been dunked for a washing. Yeah, you feel the weight of that thing. It weighs an absolute ton and your board is affected by that. So body weight's massive because if someone's sort of 50, 60 kilos, they can get away with being on small boards. But at the same time, boards get what's called ice ups, particularly have windage, which is the height of a board off the water. It's six inch thick, 4.75 inches thick or four inches thick. The four inch ones are mainly for children because they're very thin and in general, they're very bendy. Okay, there's just not a lot of reinforcement in them. 4.75s or 4.75 inches have come a long way with the, the new technology inside, the drop stitch and stuff. Much more stable. And anyone that I talk to, I always say, look, try this one. It's a 475. You're light. What you don't want is a board that's trying to always control you. You need to control the board. So if the board is too buoyant for the person, it's the opposite. It's too much volume. You can't actually stop it bouncing around. It's taking charge, especially on the sea or any, even a lake, if there's wind on it, it will stop bouncing around. So if I stuck one of my kids on a six inch thick board, they wouldn't be able to steer it as effectively as if I stuck them on a, my little surf sup, which is seven foot long and it sits literally flat to the water. Then they have complete control. They can steer it. So my 10 year old, she can take my surf sup out through. Often she goes out two foot waves. She paddles straight out. She joins me if I'm out foiling. And she just hoofs around for a bit, catches away, but she's in control of that board. So, you know, the volume, it, it, it's your friend and it's your enemy at the same time. Whereas a heavier person, 80 kilos plus, you need to start considering thicker boards because it's got a better uh, anti-flex lengthways, the bend lengthways when you look at a board. And, and so that goes a long way. But if you are on the heavier end of the spectrum, and I think, as I said it earlier, I used it the other day, you know, the guy had a Job Duna and that's a nice touring board and it actually is really stiff because i'm heavy he was quite light i jumped on his board we did a swatch swap around and uh, it was phenomenally stiff in the chop because as we were paddling along if you think of it if, I, if I, and i'm talking about ice ups again if you're going through rough water or moving water every time a board goes up and the nose wants to drop a rigid board will maintain its sort of rigidity lengthways Whereas a bendy floppy board will always try and form itself to the shape of the water, which makes it a bit like trying to stand on, I, I don't know, like a, well, like a lilo or, or a, a blow up bed sort of thing. It's just, it doesn't release and then, then you can't control it whatsoever. So people weight needs to really um, be linked to what they buy. And so I would say any adult, don't particularly waste your time looking at four inch boards and there are brands out there that offer them i've got a couple in my head that i've seen on the beach lately they're just not doable you catch a little wave. everyone comes down here to learn to surf down at brackwisham and they catch a little wave and as they catch their first one the tail lifts as the wave comes under but the middle bends to form the shape of the wave because it's not stiff enough to release the nose is stuck and the next thing 
they're just plunging along with pushing water they can't release they can't get going there's no answer to that is there yeah absolutely yeah you're putting yourself at a massive disadvantage and just a quick line about board length as well because that 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 board length yeah can't it well obviously everyone's manufacturers got into the 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 mindset of going well it's 10 foot six it's an all-rounder then we've got 11 foot six and we've got 12 foot six and all these numbers but realistically those numbers don't mean a lot it's uh it's obviously how they produce the boards just in with the shape sizes they decided were generic but the longer a board in general the more it's capable to keep a straight line as you paddle so technically this is why distance boards are longer if i got on a small seven foot surfs up and try to paddle a distance i'd keep going left and right which is harder to maintain a line so i'd go longer with that whereas 10 foot six which is quite a common size with ice ups um that's an all-round board it's what i would call your splash and dash size it's great fun it can do a little if you caught a little wave you could catch a little wave you could poot up the beach and go get ice cream at the next you know up at east wittering from where we are a mile or so up the bay and you could paddle around have the kids on the front have the dog on the front have a nice day out but then if i was going to go and paddle over a distance 10 foot six would be a chore it would be a lot more work because you're pushing more water because it's shaped differently so then you get the 11 foot six range and it, it, there are numbers in between but Obviously, you go up to generally an 11 foot six ish. That becomes a little bit more purposeful in its ability to travel a distance because the water line. So that's the length when you look at it from the side is longer. Quite often, they're slightly flatter. And so the board is capable of gliding per stroke that you every stroke you take. It glides that little bit better, that little bit longer, a little bit more effectively without resistance. And then so you'll travel further and then you can go up to 12 foot six with ice ups and that. So, again, a little bit more. But it, it is important to pick the right one. And I often say to people that ask for my help, think about where you want to be paddling in a few months time. If you think this is really for you. And obviously also that means don't rush out and buy a board before you've really tried it. Go and try it first. Give it a go because it's a big expense. Environmentally, you want to reduce your impact. And so don't rush out, buy a board, think it's not for you and sling it in the skip or never use it. Go get some help and then go show me what these boards do and then make a proper informed choice. It's a, it's a much easier way to do it from a user perspective. OK, so moving on to point seven. So that was all about price. And obviously there's there's so much involved in selecting uh, a board and price obviously is one of them just run us through the the three different levels of budgetary divisions and apologies to our american listeners we're going to do this in pounds sterling but i'm sure you'll be able to do the math like um, there's online calculators for that i mean there's no absolute but obviously if you look at boards on amazon which is your prime market for showing cheaper stuff you know, a huge range of generic rebadged products that god knows where they came from and who made them two two and a half hundred pounds so 250 pounds will get you a board which obviously with isaps they come as a package leash fin bag etc and then you get boards that sort of climb a bit they go up to sort of five six hundred pounds 
and then you get boards that escalate and obviously if we work on ice ups you go up to a thousand or pounds but like the race boards we sell uh, three thousand or something like that these super duper carbon things that can climb up to three grand for starboard do the all stars the they're very high performance race boards astronomical amount of money it's a different kettle of fish you're a different person when you get into that you've decided it's for you from a more purposeful perspective absolutely really it's about doing your homework and just asking the question on facebook without knowing context or anything like that really don't have any chance of getting any sensible advice and what generally happens is people who have bought their own paddle board doesn't matter how long they've been paddling generally pop up and say you've got to buy this brand because that's the only brand that they've uh, encountered and as far as they're concerned that's the the best brand so so it is a bit of a, a pointless exercise that i think unless you, you take your guidance you look at the this guide and work your way through all of these questions because it's not an easy question to answer really and just to re-emphasize one of your other points there around local shops and local retailers and sub schools are a support network these schools have a vested interest in keeping you paddling and they will give you the right information about what size of paddleboard to buy and they will ask you a lot of these core questions to help you they, they will ask about the conditions that you're paddling in and essentially they're not about making a quick buck they want you to stay in the sport for as long as possible so i'd really recommend that you speak to a local shop a local retailer or a sub school and just find out what the instructors paddle and what they recommend rather than just asking a bunch of paddlers who have been paddling for less than a year which is often the case no disrespect to anyone wanting to help other people you don't know what you don't know wow this is this is a really comprehensive guide here so if you were gonna sum things up so for a man sort of 5 11 85 kilos You'd be looking at a board of 10.6 between 30 and 32 wide and six inches thick would be fine as a starter board. And obviously, if you're looking for more more glide, then you'd be looking a, a bit of a greater length, sort of 11.6 maybe as a starter board. And with those boards, they're fine to to use on small waves and to, just to really catch you to cut your teeth on small sprint races and all of that sort of stuff and you're not going to win but you'll be able to participate and then obviously as weight increases then you're looking at, at something potentially a bit longer and a, a bit wider depending on your dimensions for women 10 6 and between 30 and 32 and for very light women you can look at that sort of 4.75 inch um, width and then up to six inches for kids what, what sort of choice is out there for kids there there are specific brands out there turtle bay some of those guys they, they do specifically boards for children which are obviously scaled down versions and so you get some really nice products obviously the key thing for children and i've been through this with my own children as they've grown up in water sports is that you don't want them to get injured they want to have an easy time but for me being a bit more of a, a guru dad I was like, I'm going to make you work for it as well. I'm not just going to dump you on something like a like an oil tanker and just see you flop about and learn nothing. So they use my surf ups, which are much smaller. So for them, that's still quite a big board, especially when they were really little. But it does make their technique improve quite quickly. I think one of the biggest things, certainly from a children's point of view, is 
bear in mind their shoulder width relative to board width because they can't reach out very wide but if they're little like up to about 10 12 years old they haven't got a lot of upper body strength in comparison so the real factor here is paddle blade because if you're trying to get, let your kids enjoy it without getting injured and they're only little they're very soft tissue aren't they in their shoulders and the rotator cuffs you don't want them getting injuries so get them a paddle that is for children which is a much smaller blade as i say they're weak in the shoulders so they can't be lifting some chunky great thing out of the water hundreds of times they have i've seen it with my own children they haven't got the strength and it puts them off because the first thing they do is moan about it because <laughs> like, as soon as it becomes a bit of a chore i'm not doing that again then it's you know and i was very quick to go and i cut some paddles down that i had i reshaped it because they were glass fiber so i just formed my own ones and made them little and then suddenly they had a sort of a performance shape and a performance paddle but of the size for them and that made an immense difference because there was nothing to it they felt capable they felt really able to engage with in the things i was asking them to do they could just do a click of a button they were like yeah done it without any resistance so that's really important for kids absolutely and it's good advice for adults as well and and that's a really good point to end on actually because people do get very obsessed with the boards and of course it's got a float and obviously you've got to identify what sort of paddling you're getting into but essentially the thing that's going to make the most difference to your paddle experience is the paddle itself and we've got an episode coming up about paddles so we won't necessarily get into the the detail right now but essentially the package paddles really are not fantastic they're very heavy to swing and if you are fixating on the quality of anything really be it board or paddle my recommendation tends to be concentrate on the caliber of the paddle and the advice about children paddling and that smaller blade you mustn't as an adult particularly blokes here get too macho about having a large blade and powerful and all of that sort of stuff because it's a bit like the gearing on a bicycle you've got a small blade that means that your cadence can pick up you can accelerate you've got a lot more control i think paddle is critical to all of this Um, ian thanks so much for your time really appreciate it and i hope that's of use to you out there who are thinking of buying a paddleboard ian if you're happy um, i'd like to take all your information and put it on the bottom of the show notes ian if people wanted to find out about you and your your business and your school and so on where would they go to find out about you www.surfs s-u-r-f-s hyphen sup.co.uk brilliant stuff and we'll link to that all in the show notes Ian it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much for your time and look forward to seeing you on the water great yep thank you very much cheers Simon well thank you again to Ian and if you found this bonus episode useful that was just one of four that we're releasing this week it's beginners week here at SUP FM and we've got more where that came from so if you need a deep dive on ISUPs and ISUP packages if you need a primer on SUP safety or to get the inside line on building confidence and skills on your board then check out the rest of the beginners episodes we've got going on And because season four starts next week, make sure you don't miss out on any of our regular episodes by subscribing or following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Amazon Podcasts or via your favourite podcast app. Okay, well, wishing Aloha 
to all you new paddlers. We're really glad you've joined the tribe and look forward to seeing you on the water wherever you are. <laughs>